Hi everyone and welcome to Priory's new podcast, Sporting Highs and Lows, where we will explore the links between addiction, mental health and sport. I'm Luke Sutton, ex-professional cricketer and now a sports agent, where I see firsthand the impact of addiction and mental health challenges on those involved in sport. I also speak from experience having sought alcohol addiction treatment with the Priory Group over 10 years ago. Priory's new podcast will be looking into the prevalence of addiction and poor mental health across the sporting world, and we'll be speaking to a range of people who can give their own insights into how addiction, mental health and sport can be intertwined. In our first episode, myself and Pamela Roberts, an addiction therapist for Priory who has supported many people through their addiction challenges, are luckily joined by ex-footballer Paul Walsh. Paul played for clubs including Liverpool, Tottenham, Man City and Portsmouth, along with representing England uh, before moving into the broadcasting world with Sky Sports. So welcome, Pamela and Paul. Hi. Hi, Luke. How are you doing? Great. So, Paul, if, if, if we could just start off with, with you just maybe just talking through your journey from, from a very high-profile football career uh, to eventually seeking help for issues with alcohol. Just talk us through that journey and, and where it took you and... and um, and then we can talk a bit more around it. I think my journey started much earlier than that, you know. Um, forget football, forget obsession, well, the obsession that we're talking about. Um, you know, I was in a meeting on Saturday and the, and the guy sharing said, he, you know, and I hear this a lot, people feel that they was born an alcoholic. I don't know whether I was born an alcoholic or not. All I know is that, um, you know, the, the early influences in my life maybe had a, a bearing on my thinking. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of contradictions in growing up. Um, but I was a Catholic boy. My dad was nearly a Catholic priest um, and he insisted on me going to a Catholic school, but he knocked around with all types of thug-like people and we always had bent stuff in our house. And, you know, and, and, and so although I knew the difference between right or wrong, it sort of gave me scope to make my own rules up. And I had a lot of freedom when I was a kid, a lot of freedom to do what I wanted to suit me. So that suit me, obsessive, I'm having it, whatever way I'm going to get it, sort of... Uh, growing up in my head. And I was, you know, I was a fairly badly behaved boy, um, you know, always in a little bit of trouble. And, uh, but I was obsessed with football. But being a small person as well was another massive challenge, you know. And, you know, everyone kept telling me what I couldn't do. I hated it. I hated it. You know, I really did. I mean, hate. You know, I had a lot of resentments, even though you don't even know what resentment, I didn't even know what resentment was when I was that age. All I knew is I felt angry towards people because they never picked me. They said I wasn't big enough. They said I wasn't good enough. And, you know, the belligerent bit inside of me just was going to prove that wrong. And so what happens is I behave badly as a kid. And at 16, I get my rewards. Um, You know, I I became the second youngest player to ever play in Charlton's first team at 16. And suddenly I'd arrived. But even taking it back a little bit before that, um, you know, I go back to my first drink. We had this wonderful Sunday football manager who, who took, you know, we, we were rag-ass rovers, we really were, in south-east London, a place called Thamesmead, which is not, not the nicest place in the world. And um, he took, he got us in a transit van and drove us to Munich on his own, 14 of us in the back of a bus, right? We got to, we got to uh, Munich and we're standing in the Olympic Stadium. This had been about 1975. And um, I, I'm looking out the window, I can't believe we're staying there. I just can't believe it. Whatever possessed him to do the next thing he did, I don't know. He took us into, into Munich and he took us into a beer keller and he bought us each one of them big Steiners. We're 14, 13 or 14. And we're all drinking it, you know, thinking we're grown up and I, I'm getting it down me as quick as I can. 
And, and when I got back, I was so sick, so ill, um, you know, it nearly spoiled the trip for me. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because when you think of the contradictions already of me wanting to be in sport, I'd do anything to get there. And then I had that drink and I'm sick and ill with it. But I couldn't wait to get in the pub at 16. Couldn't wait to get in the pub at 16, 17 with my mates, having a drink, living the life, thinking, it, well, it was great. You know, I was playing professional football. You know, and I'm with my mates in the pub having a beer and all my insecurities and fears when I had a few beers went out the window. So it was a solution to me. Drink was a solution and it became a solution right the way through. I didn't know it, but it became a solution. It became a solution to girls, uh, uncomfortable situations, um, even winning, it became a solution because I couldn't sleep after a game. So I used to drink my head to sleep. You know, all those things. And, and, and the, the, the other thing is, because you're, because you're, um, you, you have to turn the tap off and, and leave it alone and then go back to training, um, you know, uh, you, you think you've got a handle on it, don't you? And you're young, you're fit, you know, you're managing it. Um, but I, I had a period when I was at Spurs for two years where I drunk, drove all over the place, up the curb. I couldn't go to training on a Monday. And, and so, you know, I was making up excuses. I went out on a Friday and, and didn't think I was playing on the Saturday. I didn't even think I was in the squad, got there and I was actually playing. I got oiked off at half time because um, I couldn't even see properly. I couldn't focus. And it was embarrassing. I was, I, I, a part of me loathed myself but couldn't stop myself. That was one of the lowest points in my life. And I knew that, you know, uh, I was low on confidence, but, but ragged with ego, but low on confidence. So low self-esteem, massive ego. <laughs> ego, hear it all the time, don't we? And, um, you know, so I'd be fronting it out and, you know, yeah, don't you talk to me. And I'd be falling out with him. God bless him. Ray Clements died yesterday, right? I've been trying to make amends to Ray Clements for the last five, no, last two, three years. I punched him um, and had a fight with him um, after, during a reserve game. I, I'm just looking at my part going back in it and the amends I need to make to people, and, and he was one of them. But I don't get on with him that well, and I didn't get on with him that well. And, um, you know, I know this is, is for public consumption, and I don't want to sound heartless because he's just passed away, bless him. But I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And then I've sat there since yesterday wishing I had, you know, really wishing I had, um, you know, but... Um, you know, and, and, and I, I, you know, I was fighting with people. I was falling out with people, like long hair, thinking I was this and that. And, you know, masking my, my poor performance with girls and nights out and rubbish like that. Well, not rubbish like that. It seemed like, it seemed, you know, people thought I was great. Some people, um, not the people who mattered, not the people in, you know, picked the team and, and uh, people could see past that maybe. Um, but there was a drink culture in football at that time and... Um, you know, so it was allowed, if you like. I just abused it. Um, and, and, and I got my comeuppance because I had to move to, I had to, move to Portsmouth where I did, really didn't want to go. Um, I had to move there to, to, to restart. Um, I, knew, I, I knew during that spell when I looked in the mirror and I just shook my head about, you know, I need to change something. I didn't really change much. I stopped drinking. I met my wife and I slowed up a bit. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, and then, but, but, but that was just temporary, temporary. I was still a time bomb waiting to go off in, in all sorts of areas. And obviously, you know, you slowed down, but things escalated past beyond when your career finished and, um, and then eventually got you to seeking for help. I was just going to say, just, just talk us through that as well. The help bit came, came later. I mean, I, like yourself, I went, into, I, went, I went into being a football agent. I hated it. I really hated it. 
But before that, I, I was always quite switched on streetwise with money. So, you know, I knew how to do my own deals, really. And, um, you know, but the amount of arguments over money, you know, and money became, you know, not an ob- money. Well, money did become an obsession. It becomes an obsession because you, you ain't going to have enough of it when you finish. And, and I'm panicking, you know, and, um, you know, that's coming round the corner. And I'm trying to find out what I like doing. Can I do anything? Because why would I be any good at anything? You know, I left school at 15 and... I never took any exams. I was average at school. And so what am I going to do when I stop? You know, I didn't know. I didn't know. So fear, a lot of fear. Nearly all of my stuff is is fear. Even fear of things when they're going, when they're going well, fear when they're going to go wrong. And over, over time, I become so negative. I had so many, and business, we ain't even got there yet, but go on. So if you want to look at my journey, it was, it, I, I could go on forever about, the situations I got me in, myself into, the anger, um, the reaction of my behaviour on my family, um, and you know, you know, we were close as a, as a fact of imploding. You know, me and my wife were, were not talking. We were, we probably it was looking like divorce, and um, my kids didn't speak to me. I was angry. I didn't think they worked hard enough. They didn't appreciate what they had. All this, all the, everything, you know. And, yet, and no one was talking to me. So I used to just go out the pub and drink my head to sleep. Um, and, 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 that, and that's what it was. So it was, again, the solution even at that point. Um, and I had a, I had a long-running f- friend up in, up in Manchester from, um, from my days up there. Uh, and he was a proper rascal. And um, he, uh, he'd been sober for a number of years and we reconnected. And he started to started to poke me about um, <laughs> about me, <laughs> me, <laughs> and um, you know he started saying, "Have you ever thought you might be the problem?" Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's he on about? You know, and um, so um, anyway, I kept him at arm's length, kept him at arm's length, and um, but we, I kept talking. I was interested because he was a proper wrongen, and. Um, you know, in every sense of the word, and uh, you know, uh, and then and then I, I was at my my dad's 80th birthday party with my eldest son and his girlfriend, and my son, I got caught up in him in my ear complaining about the night, and I was drinking pints of Stella. I didn't used to drink pints of Stella, and I was just trying to drink my head away, get me out of here, get me out of here, and. Um, uh, as we stood outside the restaurant, I turned around and smashed my son in the face. Knocked my mum over. We had a scuffle, knocked my mum over. And I remember clambering up the stairs at the house when I got back and getting onto him, falling asleep, drunk. Um, and uh, uh, the, the, the next day when I got my head off the pillar, I, I felt suicidal. I, you know, And it was definitely the, the best version of what I could give you. Or what I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And, and that was it. The following week... You know, I tried very quickly to make up, but my kids were sick of hearing me say sorry, 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 um, excuses and calming it all down. And then the cycle would just start again because I, ne- I never knew a different way. And I made a conscious decision. It was funny because the next week I played in, a, in an England uh, vets game at uh, um, Upton Park and um, I took my son and his girlfriend, both my boys, and it was a horrible atmosphere. And uh, that night I decided I was never, never going never gonna to have a drink again. I just decided. Um, and I went back to the hotel, my, my, my kids went home, 
And I went, I was staying at a hotel, I can't remember why, but I went back and I was with Steve Howie, who used to play for Newcastle. I had four pints of Guinness with him. And as I put that fourth pint down, I thought, I'm not having a drink ever again. And I put it down. And, but this is where my self-will gets in the way because my self-will drove me everywhere I went. And now it's going to drive me to not drink. All right? And all the contradictions of recovery, surrender, acceptance, hand your will over. It's difficult. <laughs> how, how, how on earth was I going to do them? You know, I spent my whole life trying to be a winner. Um, you know, and, um, and, and now I'm going to have to surrender, accept giving. <laughs> you know, and it was... And, and sometimes, my, my, even today, my, my biggest um, fault, if you like, is that I can start to try and take control of everything again. And so I have to do a lot of meetings. I still do. I still do at least five a week. I constantly have to say the same things to remind this thick head um, of, of, what it, of what it's like if left alone, untreated. And, and service, I, I'd become selfish. You know, I, ne- I, never, I never did... Um, I never did anything for anybody else, you know, because it, it was in that, like, what can I get? What can I get? I need, you know, kids in, pri- I used to put kids in private school, I need to earn this, I need to get that. You know, I'd have trampled over anyone for a pound note. And, um, you know, uh, and that's what it did. But then I got into risky deals and then I fell out with people. And if you think of the insanity of what's going through my head on a daily basis and all that anger and resentment and fear all rolled into one and, you know, I, I, the only way I could make all that go away was have a drink. Have a drink, drink it away. Uh, I, you know, I couldn't put my head on the pillow. I was fighting people in my sleep. I was, I was, you know, killing people in my sleep. I, I, you know, I, I, I just was so in pain. I can't tell you. So um, I, I just hated my life. Just hated my life at that point. And um, you know, everything was going wrong. Forget the money and the, the other situations I had. You know, my family. I was losing them all. Um, you know, so. It's taken time. It's taken time. I'm four and a half years in. It's taken time. You know, both my kids have come back to me, mostly. My wife and I are happier. Um, it's never going to be perfect. I still try to make a because of my guilt. I still try to make up for stuff. Um, you know, and my kids. Sometimes I'm not sure if they manipulate me a little bit on that one maybe they do uh I try, i'm trying to help them it's hard it's hard out there at the minute and i'm trying to help them but um you know and I, and, and, I, and yeah it's, so it's uh it's been it's been interesting but you know service so you know walking my first sponsor i was just telling you about he so he said walk in walk into a rehab center and see if you can see if you can be useful and that's how this journey started um you know i walked into the priory the manor and um uh, yeah, and I just asked if I could volunteer, and I've been in there three years doing that, and uh, I've loved every, I've loved it, I've loved it. You hear this in AA all the time, but our stories are different in some ways, but they're identical in other ways, identical. And and you'll you'll talk through how you were in sport as a kid. You've just literally talked my my story there. It's exactly the same. That that you know, I used to say call it a. Uh, an intensity like it was almost like a, a violence yeah. <laughs> I know that doesn't sound right of, of determination of like you know I once heard a guy talk in a, a meeting about how he'd try to burn his house down because of the, where he'd got to and I was like you know I really get that I, I know that sounds absolutely insane to other people but that intensity to win and prove people wrong and and overcome it was the my greatest strength and my greatest weakness and that's exactly what you talked about Pamela sorry you go 
I was just wondering if, for both of you, if that kind of determination in that, that winning streak, that kind of, it, it always strikes me, working on the other side of this, that there's kind of an aggression that's um, nurtured. It's a nurtured aggression that then drives this, this elitism that you have, the capabilities that you have, and how that then features with addiction. There's something similar that I see with that um, drive and the yeah. drive of addiction and how they might marry together, how they travel together. Well, yeah, okay. I have to win every argument. I have to win in every situation. Um, <laughs> and whether I manipulate that situation. I'll give you, I'll give you a small example even today. Um, you know, me and my wife went for a coffee. It was probably about, eight, about six months, maybe even a year ago. And I wanted her to go to Al-Anon, right? <laughs> and... Because everyone, the problem is everyone does look at me because I'm owning it, that I am the problem. I have been the problem. Um, but as it says in, uh, there's a reading on page 122 in the big book, The Family Afterwards, it's where it says, to some extent, the whole family is ill. And, and we were. And, um, you know, so I thought, I thought she could help. Um, and, you know, my son, the week before, had stood in our bedroom and I'm going to have to swear here because this is what he actually said. He, he went, he pointed her and he went, at least he's effing trying. Right. And I was like, wow, part of me quite liked it. Part of me quite liked it. I'm not going to lie. Part of me quite liked it. Ooh. Anyway, went for a coffee a couple of days later. And this is what I mean by having to win. I sit in there on the coffee. I'll tell you what, Bev, if you went to Alanon, Jordan wouldn't be able to say that to you, <laughs> right? And then I stopped myself halfway through it and I went, listen, stop, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm manipulating you and I know I'm doing it because it's what I want you to do, but you've got to want to do it. And I, and I reversed out of that manipulation because I do stuff like that without even thinking about it. It becomes second nature, a subconscious way of getting way, my way around situations to get what I want. And... Um, and right across my whole life, winning in every situation, which is alluding to what you're, I think you might be saying, Pamela, is the same as winning in every situation in sport. You know, you try to win. It's no good playing, just playing for the participation. Me and Luke, we don't, we don't do that. We play, we play to win, otherwise you don't get anywhere. You know, and um, those traits that made me decent in sport have been destructive out of sport. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think... I look back on my my career and I I was I felt I was pretty averagely talented but managed to play for the best part of 20 years and and I think that's cuz I just wouldn't let it go. I was just like, you know, I'd I'd moved to Lancashire which was, you know, the cricket equivalent I guess of Manchester United and I remember sitting in the dressing room thinking, how am I going to survive with these guys? And then I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to whatever it takes I'm gonna it was like trying to draw a a line straight a straight line and every day I'd be like no it's got to be straighter it's got to be straighter it's got to be straighter and it's 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 the greatest strength that survive that you survive in that elite environment because talent is only so much and of course you get the uber uber talented guys who are on another level but the rest of it it's just a war and I and I mean not just with the opposition in your own dressing room surviving surviving training day in playing through injury and and that what I realize now you know 10 years on is that's unmanageable it, it's got to go somewhere and uh and that same obsessiveness uh leading with ego 
uh, it is all the, the traits of, of what Paul's talked through his story that, that about addiction. It's the same thing. And, um, you know, that's why when I, I see so many guys run into addiction issues in their careers, which have kept a little bit quiet, and then post-careers where it gets ugly, I'm like, I don't know why everyone's so surprised. I don't know. I think professional sport will be spitting people out for years to come. That that's a question I have actually for is how do you navigate that shift into recovery where it because I guess it becomes suddenly very public. And as you said, Luke, that, that period beforehand is very private. You you can get away with it for so long, can't you? Any addict will say that. You get away with it for so long and then you start seeing the impact it has on your sport, on your work, on your relationships. And then the chances are that this is going to suddenly be known to a lot of people. How do you navigate your way into recovery, I suppose, with that? Well, you've got a break, I think. You've got, like, you know, what Paul's said, you know, sick and tired. I mean, sick and tired. And for me, I felt like it was like a little thing snapped in me. I was like, I can't do it. I, you know, I had in my head, the game is up. I can stop pretending. Stop pretending that everything's all right because it's not. You know, it's not all right. I can't do this. But I, I think the transition out is, uh, is, I think, very, very difficult because you're asking people who've been conditioned from an early age to, to survive and live this way. And, and then you're suddenly telling them and, and, and add into that. Like I, when I went into cricket, there was a drinking culture that there is always in professional sport a culture of something like, you know, they don't want to people don't want to talk about it. It might not be drinking, but it moves on to something else. Gambling could be drugs, could be women. It, it, whatever it is, it's there. It's there today. Don't be under any illusion. And and it's celebrated. That's what concerns me. You know, it's celebrated. It's like, hey, you know, that's the lifestyle. And you get away with it. You get away with it, especially if you're, a, you know, a hard had like sounds like Paul and I were you get away with it because you run through a brick wall and then career stops and then you're in the real world and it's like what what do I do with that now and it's very difficult I mean the other thing is what yeah you know, I was an emotional baby you know um I was an emotional kid kid like I said so I could shout scream fall out of anyone even when I was a kid and now I've got this little bit of prestige through going through football. But every time something went against me in my footballing life, I could never accept it. Now, if I went into it with a balanced emotional sort of look at it, injuries happen. It just happens. People get injured. I got injured at some crucial times. And wow, did I go into self-pity or what? You know, and I, you know, I, I, uh, I'll give you an example. It was Liverpool double winning season in 1985-86. And I'm having my best season and I get an, in, an ankle injury with about nine games to go. And the manager, who was a player manager at that time, Kenny Dalgleish, steps into the team and plays the last nine games. And we got to the FA Cup final. And I remember coming back from the FA Cup final, and I should have been pleased for everybody else, but it, the selfish part of me was just consumed with my own self-pity about what's happening to me. And I had six months out with that injury, and I just drank nearly every day, you know, every day. I remember going from Liverpool, going into London, just booking in hotels and messing around for days on end, you know, and, um, you know, just trying to put everything out of my mind. Um, and, you know, and I, and I hated it. And, you know, there's a couple of managers that, you know, I, I, I want to make amends to as well. Um, Terry Venables is one because he gave me a good chance at Tottenham, but I was already, I was already in drink and mess around mode in my head. 
Um, and I couldn't, and, and this gives you another example, I suppose, of the powerlessness. I would have done anything to be a footballer, and now I've got a great opportunity. Even though things haven't worked out at Liverpool, I'm still going to a great club in Tottenham, right? And I cannot change my ways enough to be professional enough to make a, a, a proper fist. Because you say about talent, Luke, I was mega talented. And I mean mega talented, right? And my, my talent, if you'd have said to me at 15 um, or 14, this would be your career, I would have snapped your hands off. But I look back on my career and I actually am disappointed. I, I suppose if I, look at a, if I want to look at a gratitude in, from a gratitude point of view, I'm grateful I had the career. Of course I am. But if I want to look at a critical eye point of view, um, I'm disappointed slightly with, with the outcome um, because, of my, because of my behaviour, my behaviour, my thinking. Um, and that sort of how I couldn't pull myself out of situations and be professional and grown up and with some of the things that happened to me. Um, but accepting I was an emotional baby, I still can be. So I have to be right aware of that even now. I'm 50, 58, for God's sake, but I still can be an emotional baby um, because I spent years doing the same thing. I never came in the room till I was 56, 53, sorry. Yeah, I was, thinking, I was just going to ask both Pamela and, and Paul this. Is, is I think, just going back to that question of how, how does you know, that, that personality of an elite sports person then transition into recovery, and I think... The, the biggest change for me in my own, and I'm, and I'm certainly not saying it happened like one day, I was like, you know, my sponsor said to me, oh, this is what you need to do. And I was like, oh, great. It, it gradually, I got it over time, was I for, didn't realise how much I defined myself by my cricket, by being a cricketer, you know, like I'd, I'd go to a party and someone said, oh, what do you do for a job? And I'd go, I'm a cricketer. And you'd, you'd get that look immediately and, you know, of like someone go, oh, that's great. And, and, and I didn't realise how much I was defined by it. And so, def- and, and as a result, there was winning and losing were in it. You were a winner or you're a loser. It was, it was that was me. Uh, there was nothing else there. And in recovery, I think I found I'm, I'm a human being, you know, and, I, and I'm a father and I'm a partner. And, I, and now I, I want to achieve stuff away from, you know, now a sporting field. But more importantly than anything, I want to be a good human being. Now, I know what I'm saying now might seem natural, but in my playing days, you'd never have heard me say this. Never, never. It would have been weak in my mind. I, I don't, Paul, would you, do, you, do you relate to that at all? Yeah, yeah, t- totally. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I went on a pursuit of money because I needed it, but it was going to be what was going to keep my ego intact. Um, so football couldn't do that anymore. TV did a bit because I had floated about on Sky for a number of years, um, and it did it did it did that a bit. Um, but but money and prestige were high on my agenda of what I think gave me self worth, you know. And um, I chased those things around, thinking that's what defined me. Um, I'm not a footballer no more. But you know what? I'm going to show everyone what a good businessman I was, and I weren't. <laughs> You know, it's taken me 25 years to, to, to be, be half decent at stuff. I'm all right at it now, but it's like, you know, why would I be any good at it? Never done it before, I, you know, and I got in some right scrapes, but um, I can look back at them now and laugh, but they were painful. Honestly, they were painful. <laughs> it's an interesting question, actually, because I was just thinking about, 
I'm trying to put myself in your world rather than my world. And I was thinking how failure is just not permitted. And yet failure is a part of normal human life. So where did you ever learn emotionally to deal with those bad days, those broken trust, those difficult relationships? And when I think about addiction, and I think also how you get into recovery, it's Addiction is a is a shortcut word for a much bigger problem. You've talked about the kind of developmental things, the type of child you were, the environment you were. How do you make those transitions during childhood from from junior school to senior school or then into football or then into cricket and, and going into adulthood? Suddenly you're kind of thrust into this this world and culture. But also there strikes me that there's a kind of personal displacement is like a social displacement you're whipped out of everything you've ever known into this fabulous world this is my take on into this fabulous world the culture is everything you want you have it drink drug what does it matter and then you know and we know that a small number of people are addicts in inverted commas but like you say, is it the personality type that gets you to these wonderful places that then opens the door for the whole addiction? So there's that nature bit. And then there's also the nurture of everything you've experienced, the world you're suddenly in, this personal displacement, your purpose becomes single focused. Then you have all these bits that <laughs> that might interrupt that single focus and then what's your purpose how do you reconnect i suppose emotionally mentally physically and the words you know in aa they use is spiritually for me that emotional reconnection is absolutely key and yet there's no one teaching you along the way how to deal with failure how to deal with disappointment how to be feeling piteous or sad or you know all those other things it's very similar in some ways to someone who's not coming from sport you, you do I, I believe have to reach a point where you snap and you go enough I need to change you know Paul had and sometimes it can be a big thing sometimes it can be relatively a small moment like Paul just putting his pint down going I can't do this you know it, but yeah I think you have to reach that place and I think then you have to relearn you have to you have to literally be taught you know and I think that's you know, and both Paul and I's experiences being in AA and with the twelve steps and sponsorship and and service and and just learn another way of life. And I think what I got the most from what Paul was saying was that kind of moment where when you're chatting to you know an old teammate of yours in Manchester and being like, you know, I could be the problem here. I it could be me. And and I think that's a turning point. And then it's like, oh. It is me. And then learning, okay, this is what I'm doing. And But I think without that basis of AA and the steps, I don't know if I would have learned it. I think I'd have just been car crashing across the road, you know. Um, I don't know what you think, Paul. Yeah, well, you know, um, I, when you go into it, like I said, you go into it quite young. And it's not, it's not normal life. It's not real life. It's just not. You know, there's, there, you know I, I, go, I still go away every year with 12 footballers and 12 cricketers to um, where we go, Val de Lobo, and, and we have golf for 12... Well, so for the first, I don't know, five, six years of that, I was in all, in all the madness with all of them, doing all the same things. And now I go there sober, and it's a bit of a struggle, but I, I want to go. I want to go because the days are good, but then all the drinking starts straight after the golf. 
And then sometimes you, I'm coming in, I'm coming down for breakfast and people are coming in, you know, and all that sort of thing. You know, we've all done, we've all done it. So you're a bunch, we're a bunch of babies. And I speak to, if I, I guarantee you, if I got to speak to half the players that, that go on that trip and they were brutally honest with me, most of their lives are, are not that great underneath the surface of that bullshit of that trip. Don't know a different way. So some of them go to me, some of them take the mickey out of me and say how boring I am now because I used to be totally the other way because I can't stand there doing all the things that I used to do. It's just different. And I, take, I extract myself from those situations because they're dangerous for me. Um, and, and think about a lot of old stuff that, you know, that, that has gone on when I'm in those situations. You know, I don't want to withdraw from life, but I feel like I'm sober enough in every aspect to be able to go on, go on the trips um, and uh, still still enjoy them. Do I really enjoy them? Not as much, not as much. No, not really, because I'm still a bit fearful, still a bit fearful of, you know, that, that sort of urge that's still there somewhere to think, well, you know, you know not my, my head, you know, I, I take myself out of it. And normally I try to do a meeting if I can when I'm abroad anyway. Um, and, um, but it's, a, it's challenging, it's challenging. So at 34, when I start playing football, you know, I've never really grown up. I've just lived in a in a in a grown ups world, but we're a bunch of children, really. You know, acting acting about in football, and then you come out of it, and it's just um, you know, I've, I think a lot of players feel lost. But a lot of the players that played at a decent level, I think, struggle to deflate their ego enough to go and just do something normal. So, like me, I want the fluffy jobs. I want football agent. I want uh, TV. You know, all things that are going to keep my ego floating around um, and, and, and keep me feeling like I'm, I'm still somebody. And, um, you know, I, I, even at Sky, I used, to, I used to go in on some days and I'd been rowing with someone up the motorway, shouting and screaming on the phone. My head was exploding. I'd have to flip this switch and walk through the door. And I was irritable. And, and uh, you know, even, even the, my boss at Sky, Ian Condren, uh, for 15 years, I, I phoned him and apologised to him. He was one of the people I made amends to. I said, I'm sorry, I was such hard work. I was hard work. <laughs> just because of my irritability. Dry, dry drunk syndrome, isn't it? Isn't that what we oh, call no, it? Oh, no, no, not then. I was still drinking. Like, well, yeah, this is, you know. Oh, you were still drinking. All of it was part of my irritability <laughs> with everything. Yeah. You know, and so even going yeah, yeah. to Sky, I'd find a problem. I didn't realise what a great job I had. So I'd find a problem with it. Mm. You know, it could be better. Why is he doing that and I'm not doing that? You know, and, mm. and there'd be all that sort of thinking going on. Not... How lucky am I to have this job? I mean, wow, one and a half days a week and it pays X. And but yeah. how lucky am I? Mm. Didn't think, I didn't think. But there is a bit of loss in there as well. You're grieving something, so you might have another great job, but it's not the one you had before. It's not that. Yeah, but I, I, I there is. I mean, I, I sort of yes, that's that's correct. But I think that gets overblown a little. Like I'm just talking my my own journey. My sponsor used to always say to me, "Look, it's not just about showing up; it's about growing up." And I was always like, Oof, you know, like, and he was right. You know, I that's what Paul. It, it's about growing up, and and the kind of phrase, "Why me? Why is my career over? Why am I? Why not me? What? Why? Why are we so special? You know? Yeah, we." I, I think there's a grieving process of maybe playing that sport and being in that environment, but you know that it's a choice of ours how long we we put that in a bag and we carry it with us. You know that's a choice, and and at some point in recovery, you have to let go of it and go. 
you know I'm, I was very lucky to have played that long and played against those players and in those games but if I want to it be an excuse I think that gets a bit taken a bit far that's beautifully humble to hear you say that it's very yeah Paul, I just want to quickly ask you, I mean, we could literally talk for days, but, you know, now you, you're obviously doing, uh, you're working, not working, rather, you're volunteering as a peer supporter um, at a hospital, addiction uh, hospital. Um, just talk me through how, you know, that's been part of your recovery and, and, and that, we call it service, but, you know, just where you're at in your own recovery and how that plays a part in it. Yeah, well, I, I still, you know, it's been challenging the last sort of eight, nine months, hasn't it, with what's been going on and Zoom meetings. And, you know, I see a lot of people that think, oh, I don't like technology. I don't like the Zoom meetings, finding reasons not to be in meetings and an excuse to step down their recovery a little bit. I don't like Zoom meetings that much, but I'd rather have them than not have them. Um, I still go to uh, a, phys- a couple of physical meetings if I can. Um, I was doing prison service because I am the most ungrateful person in the world about how lucky I am, as I was just trying to explain. So when I go into prison and, um, you know, I sit there and see people who've had such a, they've been dealt such a bad hand in life or, and, you know, and, and yeah, you, you can't, I'm not trying to make excuses for the reason that they're there, but they've had much worse situations than me. And, um, you know, I see them trying to stay sober in prison and against all the odds because stuff's available in there. And, you know, they're, the, they're in a massive minority trying to stay sober. And you see this small group of people that are trying to, trying to stay sober of all different walks of life, different age groups. I come out of there quite humbled and, and quite grateful. The problem I always have is hanging on to that, you know, that gratitude because I could, be, I could be half a mile down the road, get a, get a phone call about something else and my, my mind's off and running somewhere else. And I forgot about where I'd just been. Done a bit of service. Um, so through lockdown, I realised that, in Zoom meetings, I was, you know, I'd be dear, but if if the if it wasn't grabbing me, I might be on my phone. So I try to do as much, a, a bit more service in terms of running the meetings if I can, some of them, because it keeps me more focused in the meeting. I have to find a top table share. I have to do the running order, and it keeps me more in, involved. I don't get distracted. But you know, I do. I still do five, five meetings a week. Um, the, the Manor Clinic's been great. As I said, I walked in there and just asked to volunteer, and I started in aftercare, so just sharing my experience with other people that were just leaving the manor um, to, uh, uh, you know, coming back with their challenges that they, they face when they leave, um, all of varying degrees. Some I have a little bit of experiences and some I don't. Um, and then I started stepping into group, uh, the group therapy and, and um, giving feedback in there. And um, I've learned I've learned hell of a lot because I've done a lot of the lectures I mean, my short-term memory's shot a little bit. So every time I do another lecture, I've done Jahari Window about 10 times, but I still need to do it 11 times just to keep remembering it. And, you know, anger le- the anger lecture's a great lecture for me. I should do it once, I should do it once a month, you know. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, so I keep, keep doing, doing the stuff repetitively. And, um, but the faces change. So the faces change every month. And uh, then you see people's progress. You see t- people's battles with progress. You know, and I, you know, I've I've taken a couple of sponsees, um, temporary sponsees from there, and I've got one at the moment, um, and uh, you know, but but just help, help, yeah, helping, you know, doing 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 something free for other people was a totally alien concept, um, and it made that's the bit that made me feel spiritual, me doing some service for others made me feel a bit spiritual about my situation, 
Um, and I never ever had a problem with God. A lot of people have a problem with God. Um, I, you know, I grew up a Catholic. You know, I was an altar boy. Um, but as I tell you, my top table share, you know, I'd be, I'd be uh, handing over the host and the wine on a Sunday and robbing out of the shop on a Monday. You know, that's, that's how I was. Um, and, um, but I don't have a problem with, with God. So it, it, it is whatever it is. But, um, you know, a creative intelligence, I quite like that. It says in the book, I quite, quite like the fact just of a creative intelligence runs this world and, you know, whatever it is. So we, when I say a prayer, it's that creative intelligence and, and, and I don't try to get bogged down in it. I was just, just going to ask you, you how you would compare your experience going into Alcoholics Anonymous versus your treatment experience as a peer supporter. Do you think there's something that, I don't know, that's different? Yeah, 100%. I've been asked this question quite a few times. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, because you're getting parted with so much knowledge um, and you fast track yourself in terms of the, the, the knowledge of the recovery. Um, what, I, what I've always found, and I say this nearly every time I'm in there when there's new people in there, is that there's a, there's a varying degrees of detox for the first week, depending on how bad the person was when he got there. Um, and then there's the, the, the next week of fighting all the changes because there's a lot of stubborn, arrogant, egotistical people in there. Um, and, and, and then the third week, if they've got any, you know, if they want to grasp it, is a chance to start doing the step work and start seriously looking at their situation. And then the fourth week, continue to do step work and preparing to leave. Um, and, um, you know, that's, that's, that's basically in varying degrees how that month unfolds for me, watching, watching people. I can't help but do it, but I always think, hmm, he's going to struggle. They're going to be all right. But, you know, but it's not always the case. You know, it's just not always the case. A few people I thought would struggle have ended up, you know, over time getting it. And a few people who talked a good game, talk, that's exactly what they did, talk a good game, but didn't put the, didn't put the work in and the action in. And um, so it's lots of complex, it's, everyone's got complex heads, thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, it's great, it's great. Um, I mean, there was, there was, there was one, uh, one girl who has been in the manor and uh, she's serial relapser. Uh, you wouldn't, now you wouldn't, if I could tell you the change in her in lockdown in the last five months, she's on meetings every day. She makes, she's very intelligent. She makes total sense, very aware of herself now. And it's all born out of what she learned in the manor. She just didn't, you know, she just wasn't ready right at that point when she came out. But I tell you what, she, that knowledge, uh, it was just gaining a little bit of acceptance on her part, I think, just that things have to change. You know, change nothing, nothing changes. All the old, all the old sayings, but that is true. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, so I, when I see her, I text her and I say, I'm so pleased to see your progress. You know, I actually love seeing people get better. You know, I've had, a, I had one sponsee that was, just didn't want to do it. Just didn't want to do it. So, you, you know, you've got, you got to want it. People, a lot of people go, sometimes go into treatment as an excuse. I mean, the guy sharing Saturday said, I, I, I went into treatment to get my wife off my back, the bank off my back. This, you know, every just get people off his back. They had no intention of, you know, of, of, so they've gone in there with the um, mindset of, of, of just getting people off their, off their case a bit or I think it's just a detox and just have a rest and let the body recover and, you know, suddenly they, they start getting imparted with all this knowledge about, you know, this, themselves and they, get, and they see other people, you know, recovering and other people changing and 
and you'd like to think that yeah, that that, that has a knock-on effect. So yeah, it's great. Mm. I've loved it. It's love. It's one. It's the best. The best thing I've done. You know, in terms of my service. Well, that and the prison. The mm. prison's great mm. as well. Amazing. Okay, so unfortunately, uh, we're going to have to wrap it up then. We could speak for, for days, I think. Um, but thank you to you both, um, but particularly Paul for sharing uh, your experiences and giving you know, such insight into the journey uh, that you've been through and are going through. And it's a massive testament uh, to where you're at, that you're now out there helping other people and being a beacon, uh, particularly for the sports industry. Uh, So I hope it's been helpful for our listeners. If you or a loved one are in need of support, please reach out for help. If you think you need professional support, the priory contact details can be found in the podcast overview or you can visit their website. So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.